We, uh, you think you know people, and uh, so these shirts they told me about, they're like, hey, let's do this thing. If you guys don't know, April is our first impressions, and she does women's. She does a great job, and we love April around here, but she wears the most ridiculous shirts, and always, like, we, like, decorate her office sometimes. I mean, we put, like, the Jesus's stuff you can put on there, and she's got these coffee mugs. Uh, this is not today, Satan, and so uh, so we were like, well, let's do this store as we're doing this Little Cups of Joy series, and we'll, like, do these t-shirts. And I was like, well, just don't put our logo on them because I don't, you know, I'm kind of like, these are weird looking shirts sometimes. And I was like, and we're going to be stuck with all these shirts. These shirts have sold faster than anything that we've ever done. And I just don't get it. But I'm glad you guys like them. And we're going to make even more next week. And so make sure and stop out there. Get yourself a coffee mug. Get yourself an April shirt. I even walked in this morning wearing the shirt. And somebody said to me, did April give you that? And I was like, well, yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? So uh, we're in this series, Little Cups of Joy, and we like to have fun around here. Uh, and, and so uh, it's kind of just a fun thing we're doing with these shirts and coffee mugs. But if you love them, go for it. And so, uh, so what this series is based on is there's all these like inspirational things in Christianity. Uh, you've seen them. They're on coffee mugs. They're on shirts. And, and, and they're often really good things. But sometimes some of these things... Um, They're lifted out of context. They're lifted out of it. And sometimes these verses are used for good, and sometimes they're used to kind of harm people. And so we took this series, and we're going to look at some kind of things in the Bible. Uh, Rusty talked about doubt last week. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects to study and talk about and think through this week. Um, And so we're looking at these verses, and we're talking about them, but we're also kind of asking some question, are there other things that maybe we need to be focusing on when it comes to our faith and spirituality and how we understand God? And so uh, I'm going to ruin for a lot of you one of your favorite verses. And I'm not trying to be a bad guy, but it's just one of these things because I want to give you a better handle at the end that should inspire us. So one of the most famous verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You guys know this verse. So here's the verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I mean, what a verse, right? Like that's a, that's a good one. That's a coffee mug for sure, right? That's now the problem with this verse is that it's lifted out of the context of what Jeremiah is talking about. Jeremiah, if you study the book of Jeremiah, he's not usually the most up and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, guy. So he's a little down. He's often called the lamenting prophet, the sad prophet. And so it, it, what this verse is talking about is that God has a plan for the people, the people of Israel. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. But the problem is that they have really messed up and they've made a lot of bad choices. And so the plans that God has for them that he's talking about is that they're going to be exiled into Babylon under the reign of the most powerful and cruel leader of the world, Nebuchadnezzar. So the plan that he has for them is for 70 years, it's going to be really bad. All right, now how many of you guys want that verse now, right? Yeah, okay. Now what he's saying is eventually you're gonna come out of this and there's this promise for the people because God is a God of redemption. But the original hearers of this word, most of them will die before they ever see these promises come true. And so lifted out of context, this verse does sound inspirational, but the reality is this is one of those great examples of a verse we just kind of take out of context, we make it mean what we want it to mean, but when you look at the context of what it's actually trying to say, well, then it's a little bit different. And we do believe that God has plans for us. The, The difference, too, in this verse is that this verse specifically is talking about a nation, not individuals. It's talking about a plan that he has 
for Israel, not necessarily the plan that he has for us today. There's another great famous verse that often gets taken out of context a little bit and abused and abused, and it's John 3.16. You guys know John 3.16? I've preached about it before. I'm not going to say anything bad about John 3.16. It is what it means, okay? All right, for God so loved the world. Now, the problem with this verse is it gets a little aggressive at times, okay? Um, Have you ever had anybody tell you good news, and when they're telling you, you're like, yeah, but the way you're saying it, it doesn't sound like good news. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it could come off aggressive. And so John 3.16 is this great verse about this idea that God loved the world, that he gave his only son. Um, and it's this great message in this great verse. But what I want to do is when we talk about this Jeremiah, I, I want to talk about the verses that come after it, because I think this is a better understanding and handle of us as Christians and kind of what we're being called to and the plans that God has for us. And so in John 3, right after this, it says this, and I love this. It says, this is the verdict. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Light has come into the world, But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for their fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they have done and and been done in the sight of God. So let's break this down. So leave it up for a second. So this verdict he's talking about, Jesus is talking about this idea that light has come into the world. Now Jesus is speaking of himself. What he's saying is, and John, we'll talk about this in a second, John kind of becomes the gospel of light. He uses this reference of Jesus and light over and over again. And so it's kind of this idea that the world is dark and there's darkness in the world. Nobody needs anybody to explain that to him. And that light has stepped in, but light, okay, and evil and darkness don't get along. There's this relationship between them when they're constantly battling. And he says, everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for their deeds will be exposed. Now, we know this is true, right? Because the reality is most of us, we don't want anybody digging into our life and exposing things, right? We like certain things hidden. We like certain things that that we want not to be exposed in our light because we know they're dark and maybe they're evil. And and so we understand this verse. And then he says, "But, but there's this idea that light comes in and exposes the darkness in us, but it also exposes the darkness in this world. Now, John, like I said, he, he kind of becomes the writer of light, and he talks about light a lot. Now, um, Jesus himself kind of refers to himself as light, but when John starts his gospel, and we've talked about this before, one of my favorite things about his is all of the other gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels, so you learn something today, synoptic gospels, and they're all very similar. In fact, we think their sourcing and kind of where the information came from is kind of all the similar kind of information, and these were stories that were being told orally and then eventually written down, and so But John does something different. He starts his gospel not talking about the birth of Jesus, but talking about the the preeminence of Jesus and who he is. And so it says this in John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So when it says the word here, it's not talking about the text of the Bible. It's talking about Jesus, and it's using this figurative language about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is one of the first references we see where specifically this early on that it's just saying that Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, which means Jesus isn't created. He's always been there. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made. In him, here's the verse, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So going back to what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, he's saying that light has stepped into the world and light exposes things. 
And so Jesus came into the world to expose things, but Jesus is also the light of all mankind, which is important for me and you because we happen to be a part of mankind. I don't know if you know that or not, but we're mankind, okay? That's who we are. His light comes into this world. Now, John's going to end this section by saying one of my favorite verses. And he's saying, and John, you got to understand, when John writes his gospel, it's much later than the other gospels. We believe it's towards the end of John's life. John has been exiled on this island. Most of the gospels are already starting to probably be put into circulation. Almost all of the New Testament has been written probably by the time that John writes his gospel. So the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter are starting to be circulated amongst the churches. And so John has a lot of time to think about what he wants to describe Jesus as, and he uses this idea of word and this idea of light. So he's very specific about the words. But then there's one of my favorite verses in verse five. He says this about this light, about being Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So this light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when we see this verse, we understand about John is John has seen a lot of darkness. John, because we believe it's written much later in the first century, he's seen the reign of these Caesars who have tried to wipe out Christianity. He's seen his friends be killed. He's seen every other disciple of Jesus be executed, thrown to the lions, persecuted. He's seen his friends die. He's seen his family die for the name of Jesus. He's seen a lot of darkness, much more than you and I will probably ever see. And his conclusion is, even with all of the darkness of the world, that Jesus' light still shines brighter than that. Now, light is one of, my most, one of the most fascinating things to, to study. And, and so a few years ago, most of you guys know this, we've talked about before, I got really into, um, and when I say really into, I'm not trying to sound smart at all because I didn't understand 98% of what I was reading. But I got really into quantum physics, okay? And the reason I got into quantum physics is I read this book, and it, was, it just blew my mind. Like the understanding of, you know, atoms and atoms are really small, but then we figured out there were things inside of atoms. And then we figured there were things inside of those atoms. And then they figured out that atoms are 99.9% .9 empty space, which you're like, I don't understand how that even is a real thing. And so all of these things. And so I got really into studying kind of quantum physics. And there's all of these rules now we're understanding about the universe. And we're, we're impressed by how big the universe is. And in fact, I don't know if you guys saw, did you see the new photos from NASA this week? And then, I mean, it's insane what we're able to see in our universe and how big and vast it is and how it's still growing and the complexity of the universe and all of these things. But then there's also this idea of we're amazed at how small the universe is because we have all of these things that hold everything together, all of these things, the atoms that make you and me and this table and this iPad and all of these things and all of the subatomic particles within these things. And, and there's all of these rules they're figuring out and we're figuring out as we study these things that make all of this exist and hold all of these things together. But then there's this one thing that, that they're, they're, they're figuring out is, is they learn more and more and more. There's one constant in almost everything. And that is regardless of what we learn about the universe, regardless of whether about the subatomic universe, there's one thing that follows its own path and there's nothing else that deters it from the path that it's following. And that is light. Light operates by its own set of rules. In fact, one physicist said this, light is the only unconstant, unchanging reality. All the curving and bending and shifting of the universe happens in contrast to light, which means light does what light's going to do, and there's nothing that you can do about it. 
It says, he goes on to say this, he says, it keeps its unflappable steady course regardless of the conditions. So light keeps its unflappable steady course regardless of its conditions. So the reason I tell you all that is to tell you this, because when John was writing his gospel, okay, he he had no understanding of the physics of the realms that we live in and the world that we live in. I mean, he didn't know that string theory was even a thing. You want to go on a deep rabbit trail, look up string theory for a little bit. And so he, he didn't know any of this existed, and yet he's referring and chooses the word light to describe Jesus. Now think about that. If light is the one thing that keeps its unflappable steady course regardless of the conditions, and Jesus is the light, then without knowing it, this is fascinating to me, Jesus is the one who keeps his unflappable steady course regardless of the conditions. No matter how dark it is, light does what light's going to do. Regardless of how dark the world may seem, Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. And there's no forces even the ongoing and understanding of the universe and everything and even the human heart that can stop it from doing what it's going to do and what he's going to do. Darkness, the definition of it, is the absence of light. All we understand about darkness is that just a little bit of light in a dark place, light wins every single time. And this is one of those rules that they're understanding, that no matter how dark something is, Once light is exposed or brought into that and illuminates that, light wins every single time. There's this tour you can do, and I hope you get to do it before you die, because it's one of the most amazing things in Kentucky. It's called Mammoth Cave, right? You ever been to Mammoth Cave? And you do this tour, and you go deep down into this cave, and they take you down in there, and they take you into this kind of recess into this cave, and, and what they do is they turn out all of the lights. I don't know if you guys have ever done this. And when they turn out the lights, it gets dark, like really dark. So dark that you can't, you lose all orientation of where you're at. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. And then the tour guide will take a match. He did it when I was a kid, took a match or a lighter, and he'll light it and it'll illuminate the whole room because light defeats darkness every single time. Now, there's this great quote from this guy named Rob Bell. Think about the darkness of the world. And here's what he says. He says this. Why blame the dark for being dark? It's far more helpful to ask why the light isn't as bright as it could be. It's as if the smallest amount of light is infinitely more powerful and massive than amounts of dark. And then St. Francis of Assisi says this. All the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. So darkness and light, they have this relationship, but light wins every single time. So Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, here's why I say all this. Here's where we're at. I love the idea of Jesus being the light. I like it. I like Jesus being the, the light in my life. I love it. I like the idea that the Bible says that thy word, that Jesus himself is this light unto my path and that he helps me in all of these things and the world is dark and my world gets dark. And I like the idea of Jesus being light. Okay. But then Jesus does this really fascinating thing. Okay. So Jesus is the light. John tells us that. Jesus himself says that he is the light. But then Jesus does something that's going to mess with us a little bit. All right. 
And in John 5, 14, he says this. You are the light of the world. Now, I really like the idea of Jesus being the light of the world. I don't know if I like the idea of me being the light of the world. Because that feels like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, a lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right? And so here's what he says. He says, you are the light. So the call of Jesus in our life is that we follow Jesus, but part of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, to be like him. And that's this thing we see over and over and over again. And so Jesus is the light that steps into the darkness, steps into the world. But then he, he through his words, through his, his love, he calls us in. And then he tells us, ready, that we're supposed to be the light, which we don't like very much. Because I don't like the idea of people having to look to me for hope and inspiration. I don't know about you, because, listen, I don't get this thing right a lot. I mess up. And I don't always have the answers. I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not always where I'm supposed to be or say what I'm supposed to say. And so it can be really difficult and feel like a lot of pressure to be light in this world. So let me ask you a tough question for those of us that are followers of Jesus. In light of this news that Jesus now believes that we're supposed to be the light, let me ask you this. Are you the light? In your workplace. Like if I went to your workplace and I was like, hey, so this guy John, right? Like, is he a light? I mean, be honest. What would they say? John, a light? No, not so much, right? So are you a light in your workplace? Are you a light in your community? Here's a tough one. This is always the toughest one. Are you a light in your family. Like if I was to go and ask your kids right now, let's pull them out. I had a video camera and I was like, hey, so tell me about mom and dad. Actually, tell me about the car ride over here this morning. How was that, right? Because that's what we do, right? We fight the whole way here, right? Then we realize we're in a rainy parking lot and we fight about how you guys park so weird. And we fight about the parking spots because they're too tight and you're not close enough to the door and we fight and we yell and then we come in and we get these ridiculous t-shirts and we act like everything's okay, right? I mean, that's what we do. And so are you a light in your family? Because we're supposed to be the light of the world. Or have we convinced ourselves, because I think we have and I have at times, that being a light is about coming here on Sunday morning showing up, doing our part, and then we do what Jesus says. We walk out of here and we put the lamp over our light Monday through Saturday just to come back in here Sunday, lift the light back up, and expose it again. He also says this. He says in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So we're light, so light illuminates, light defeats darkness, light exposes things, light makes our lives better, but then there's also salt. And what does salt do? Well, salt preserves things. In their context, in their world, salt preserves things. They didn't have electricity, they didn't have refrigeration, they didn't have freezers, and so in order to preserve something, you would pack it in salt. So they understand that salt preserves things. But they also understood that salt makes things better, right? Have you ever had french fries without salt on them? It's disgusting, right? They're not good. So salt makes things that are good better. 
Salt also makes things that are bad actually decent, right? Like broccoli. You ever have broccoli without salt? It's disgusting. Put a little salt on it, I can eat it, kind of, right? It also makes really good things perfect, right? You take a steak, you reverse sear it, and then what you do is you guys marinate it, you put all this weird stuff on it, you don't need any of that, you got a good cut of meat, all you need is a little bit of salt at the end. So salt makes things better. So let me ask you a tough question. Are we making things better? Are we as Christians and individuals, are we actually making things better? Because I hate to tell you this, but some people would argue that we aren't. And I'm not sure that they're always wrong. There has been a lot of wrong done in the name of Jesus lately. There's been a lot of confusing messages out there lately. There have been a lot of failures that have given the church a black eye. There have been a lot of people hurt and neglected in the name of Jesus. This isn't to say that Jesus himself and what he's doing isn't making the world better, but are we as individuals, are we really lighting up the darkness? And here's the difference. So there's a difference too. Um, we're, really good. <laughs> we're really good at being like fire, right? But fire makes things hot. And we like to make things hot sometimes, don't we? But it isn't necessarily lighting things up. I'll be honest with you, I think it breaks my heart the most to know that there are a lot of people <clears throat> in our country and in this world that are bummed out when we show up. Which is interesting to me. Because what we see in the scriptures is that people who are nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. People with all kinds of flaws and faults and sin patterns and bad choices from different ethnic backgrounds and social backgrounds. People who were often considered the worst of the worst were actually drawn to Jesus. They liked Jesus. And my question is, why aren't they drawn to us? If Jesus had this ability and we're supposed to be like Jesus and light like Jesus, has something changed? As I read scripture and study the other church, I can't help but see that, that some things just don't seem right. Light is supposed to shine in the darkness. Light is supposed to make things to where it's easier. Salt is supposed to think things better. I think one of the problems that we have is for some of us, when it comes to shining light, is this, is that we like to shine our light in here. We talked about this. But let me ask you a question. What good is it to be a light in a room full of lights? It does no good. But to be able to take that light and to shine it into the darkness, how much more of an impact could we make? So <clears throat> the question is now, how do we be light? How do we do that? Well, I think the first thing we have to understand, and we talked about this a few weeks ago in the last series, is that following Jesus and being like Jesus is a daily choice. It's something we have to choose every single day. Some days, if I'm honest, it's actually really easy to follow Jesus and to be like Jesus. And then some days I wake up and it's a little tougher, isn't it? A lot of times it's my own fault 
because I wake up in a bad mood or I wake up with bad thoughts or I, I do things. And, and sometimes it's on me, but sometimes it's like, you know, you wake up and, and the first thing that happens is someone cuts you off, right? I, I tell you, I'll be honest with you. I'll just give you a moment. So pulling out of my neighborhood is like the worst thing in the world, right? It's on 245. And depending on what time you, you get there, you got all these trucks going to Bardstown. You got trucks coming from Bardstown. Uh, we have some teenage drivers in our neighborhood and they don't know how to pull out of a neighborhood. And it's just like, there's mornings I'll just be sitting there and I'll be like listening to a sermon. I'll be like, this stupid kid needs to turn left, right? You know, and like my attitude is just bad, right? And it just keeps going. Or sometimes my first exposure to somebody, something will happen, right? Or I'll get that email of like, we need to talk. Does any email that starts with we need to talk ever go well, right? It's never, stop saying that, we need to talk, all right? So sometimes it's easy, sometimes, but it's a daily commitment. It's a daily thing. The other thing about being the light of the world, and I'm almost done, is this. I think for most of us, we think about being the light of the world. It means that we feel like we have to be fire in the world. Like we got to be someone that preaches these things, or we have to have some kind of crazy hermeneutics, or we have to be able to debate and discuss some crazy apologetics, or we have to be able to quote Bible verses at people. You know, one of my favorite things I've been studying lately is Jesus never quoted the Bible to people. Now, that sounds weird. Like, he did it some to, like, the religious leaders, but it was only to show them that they were doing it wrong. But, like, to, like, the people hurting and suffering and oppressed, like, Jesus is never, like, quoting Bible verses at them. He's just talking to them. He's just making himself available to them. So I get it. Some of you don't feel like you can preach or share your faith in some type of meaningful way or debate, although I think that you can share your faith in meaningful ways. But how about this one? And we've used this before, so apologize for going back to it. But in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he talks about what it looks like to have fruit in your life that you understand and you're following Jesus. And so he gives us this list, and it's a real simple list, but here's what he says. He says, so if you want to kind of understand this and what it looks like to follow Jesus and have fruit in your life that you're following Jesus and be a light in the world, he says, why don't you start with, and here's the list. He says, start with love, all right? Or be a person of joy. We've talked about this before. Joy is a choice. Happiness is not always a choice. Joy is a choice. Joy is, is that I'm going to have hope in spite of these things, and I'm not going to allow these circumstances to determine who I am. Or how about a person of peace, Right? The Bible, one of the most common things we see in the New Testament is this idea of peacemakers, right? Are you a peacemaker? Are you someone that walks into a situation and you want it to be resolved? Do you want it to be peaceful? Are you a person of patience? I am not, I'll be honest with you. I'll just go ahead and tell you that one I struggle with. And I think some of you do as well. About kindness. Are we a people of Kindness. Kindness is free. I've learned this about kindness. Kindness is free, and it very rarely costs you anything other than just being kind. Or goodness. Are we people that chase after goodness? Faithfulness is this idea that you stay consistent, right? I mean, how many of us, don't elbow anybody, how many of us wish that we were around people that were just consistent? Or gentleness Guys, we get, we get bent out of shape about this one. All gentleness means is there's, there's certain ways that you say certain things, right? You don't always have to be aggressive in the way you present things or the way you approach people. Sometimes you have to learn that there's a gentleness, a meekness to things. And then self-control. I think all of us could do a little better practicing self-control. Now, leave that list up there. So 
let me ask you this really tough question. All right, and I hate this question. So it kind of looks like a Christmas tree too. But anyway, um, so, so here's the thing, all right? Um, do any of these words describe you? Like if I was like, hey, somebody tell me a top 10 list of Billy, you know? Are any of these words being used about you? And here's the thing. We live in a world that is starved for this. And we live in a world that will look anywhere for these things. And yet these are the things that are supposed to define us because these are the things that defined Christ, that defined Jesus. The second way is this, and I'm almost done, I promise, is that not only can we do these things, and that's a way to be a light without ever having to preach to anybody or quote Bible verses, just being nice to people, kind to people, patient with people. The other thing is this, there's this famous Old Testament story about Moses and Moses, he's, he's freeing the people. And so he goes and he argues with God because he doesn't want to do it, which is all of our arguments. You're already arguing with me about how you're not going to be a light tomorrow because that's just stupid and all these things. And, and so you're arguing with God about what you can do in the world to make the world a better place. And so Moses is arguing with God and God finally gets tired of it. And he says, okay, Moses, you're not going to do what I want you to do. So just tell me what's in your hand. And we know this story, it's a rod in his hand. And God says, well, throw it down. And he throws the rod down, and it becomes a snake, and, and, and it becomes this thing. And then God uses that, that, that kind of trick there, and he says, go, go to Pharaoh and, and do that for him, and he'll see that, who I am and this type of thing. And, and Moses throws it down, and it becomes a snake. And, and so here's the thing. Was there anything special about the rod? No. It wasn't secretly a snake. Like, that would be funny, though, if he was just carrying a snake for all these years. But it wasn't anything like that. It was just, it was a rod, and it was what God could do with that when Moses was willing to give it to him. And now, all of a sudden, he's able to be a tool used by God because of something that's already in his hand that he just throws down. We see this cycle through the rest of the story of the Bible, David and his sling. There wasn't anything special about the sling. It was a sling. We see later the disciples and the fishes and the loaves that feed thousands of people. There wasn't anything special about the fish and the loaves. It wasn't magic fish or magic loaves. It was what God was able to do with it. So here's the question for us when it comes to being a light in the world. What is it that's in your hands that God has already gifted you with that you're already able to do that maybe God could use to reach the world, to be a light in your community, right? For example, <clears throat> like we're doing this series, you know, come up and I'm super excited about it. And we're going to do this, this series and it's all about music. And we're taking some of the most famous songs that almost everybody's going to know. And we're going to look at, are there spiritual messages in these songs or the ways that God is speaking even in the secular and, and all of this stuff. And, and we're going to do this and we're super excited about it. And we've like kind of picked the musicians for different weeks because of the based on the songs. And, and here's what I'll tell you, you know, you, Aaron's up here playing the guitar and a guitar in my hands it's going to be terrible, right? It's going to be horrible. But a guitar in Aaron's hands, and now you have music. And music has the ability to speak to people, to heal, to speak messages of hope, right? And so in the right hands, all it is is someone just taking what's in their hands and offering it back. And now all of a sudden, that person's being a light, right? A marker, a pencil in my hands Right? And I can draw some stick people, and I've got a tree. I've got a really good tree, but the rest of it's going to look terrible, right? And so it's not very good art. But some of you, you, you can draw. And people get spoken to through art 
and you can heal people. And touch. My, my nephew, Matt, he, he is one of the most amazing artists I've ever seen. And he, he can draw like these realistic photos just using a pencil. And he's done photos for families and times of mourning. I mean, it's just amazing what he can do with art that is a way of being light, right? A hammer and nails in my hands, it's a trip to the hospital and something you would not want to stand on for $1,000, right? But some of you guys, I mean, you guys don't know this, like this whole building was renovated just using the hands and the skills of men and women in this church, right? And so you give that, or, or it's the men that, and the women that a few years ago, when during the pandemic, we built outdoor classrooms for the elementary schools around here so that they could continue to have these classes and have time outside because there's all the craziness of the world. And so, you know, it's what's in your hands, right? You know, we play pickup basketball games during the winter. And a basketball in my hands, it's not very good, right? But you get a guy like Steph Curry, who a couple weeks ago wins the National World Championship, and he talks about his love of God and the hope that he has in God. And I mean, so think about it. It's just the idea of taking what's in your hands, right? A group of third grade kids, in my hands, it's going to go bad. Somebody's going to be crying, and it's probably not going to be me by the time we're done, right? <laughs> but some of you guys, your ability to be patient and kind and work with kids and inspire kids and get the best out of them and just using your talents and abilities that God has given you and offering them back, and now all of a sudden, you're being a light. So... What's in your hands? What has God gifted you with? What can you already offer back to him that you're already capable and able to do? So who and what is God calling you to? And so here's the verse that I think maybe more than Jeremiah 29, 11 is this great verse. It's in Ephesians 2, and here's what it says. For we are God's masterpiece. Now he's talking to us. Now, here's, there's, there's two ways to look at this. For some of you, you're like, of course I'm a masterpiece. Have you seen my Instagram? You know, like, you, you don't need that part. But for some of us, like, we've never felt like a masterpiece. We felt like a failure. We felt like we're not good enough. We felt like we don't have anything to offer. But we are God's masterpiece who has created us anew in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, so that we, who are now the light, can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That God does have plans for you. And it's to do good in the world. And maybe that's just being patient with people and kind with people and loving people. Maybe that's just taking what's already in your hand and offering it back to be a light in the world. He is the light of the world. And he is the light of our life. But now we are called to be the light of the world, to step into the darkness, to illuminate, to make it better for us and for those around us. Let's pray.